You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Sunday morning, we kicked off this four-part series on the fruit of the Spirit, and I stated that I've felt this sense of urgency to be able to speak to this church about this topic. And let me just remind you this morning that all of these are developed through our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's while we are in the presence of God and prayer that God creates and produces them in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. As we see in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul lays out for the church in Galatia. I was in a service not too long ago where Brother Joel Urshan was speaking, and he said this during his message. He said, Jesus tells us in Scripture that he is the vine and we are the branches. Our only responsibility is to stay connected to the vine. The vine is what produces life. Thank you so much. And so does water. And through us produces the fruit. We only need to stay connected. That is our one objective this morning. It's not our objective to do anything else but just to stay connected to the vine. If we sever ourselves from God, we stop producing. If we stop praying, we stop being fruitful. And so the driving factor behind this series that I'm on here this morning is on prayer. That's the key, prayer. We need prayer every day of our lives. We need prayer, united prayer, on Friday nights. We need prayer before every service, just like we did this morning. We need prayer in every altar call that's given. God is conditioning us for the race that's set before us. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon called life. I mentioned last week a book that my wife and I have been reading by Ken Gurley titled The Book on Prayer. Incredible book. We have some of them on order to come here to the church. And in it, in this book, he tells us that God was the one who placed the fire within us. How many is thankful for that? God's the one that placed the fire within us. But it is our responsibility to keep that fire burning. And so I ask you here today, is the fire still burning? Paul tells the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Rick Warren, he wrote a book titled, Reigniting Your Passion for God. He highlights seven passion killers, things that will completely annihilate your passion. He lists this. He says, first of all, there's an unbalanced schedule, an unused talent, an unconfessed sin, an unresolved conflict, an unsupported life, an unclear purpose, and an undernourished spirit. Those are the things that will kill your passion. And all these things are devastating to our fire. And our prayer here today is, Lord, set me on fire. That fire that you started yesterday, that fire that you started so many years ago, whatever it is in your life, our prayer today is set me on fire. 
And I want us to pray that prayer together today as we expound and unpack two more segments of the fruit of the Spirit. And so let's just pray one more time. Ask God to be with us here today. Let his will be done. God, we are so thankful for the opportunity that is set before us here today. We've come into your house, God, and we've come to give you praise. You're the only reason why we've come. Lord, we didn't come just to socialize. We didn't come for any other reason. We just came for you, Lord. Our eyes are set on you. Our mind is set on you here this morning. God, you've been stirring something within us, Lord. We want to get closer to you, and we know the only way to do that is through prayer. God, we pray here tonight, Jesus, that you would increase our prayer life. God, I pray, Lord, that you would increase us as an individual. God, as a church, God, I pray that you would build up your church. Expound the borders, Lord. Let your will be done in our communities. Hallelujah, Lord. We give you praise and our glory. Glory here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Much, if not most, of the social turmoil in our culture today is due to a hunger for peace which is sought for in all the wrong places. Out of a study that Ronald Hutchcraft created, in the next 30 minutes we find in North America, in the next 30 minutes while I'm speaking, 57 kids will run away from home. 29 children will attempt suicide. 22 girls under the age of 19 will receive an abortion. 685 teens will use some form of narcotic. That's all within the next 30 minutes. Our world is in need of peace. These tragic statistics reveal that we are a nation in perpetual turmoil. And the only solution is what we have here today. It's got to go beyond these borders. We need the fire of the Holy Ghost in our services like never before. We need the power of God at work in our communities as we flood back into them following the service. We need God like we've never needed him before. Can I get an amen? The spiritual battle between light and darkness is everywhere. And one of Satan's greatest weapons is to get people to think that they can find peace elsewhere. But this is just an imitation of what the Holy Ghost is supposed to do in our lives when we let him produce the fruit of peace in us. God does not always change the environment that we are in and rid it of the stress and conflict that we face. But instead, he changes us. Thank God he changes us. He has the ability to change us with his peace that passes all of our human reasoning. And that's why we can stand in front of trials and tribulations here today and people look on and they say, why in the world do they seem at peace? Why in the world... Could it be, and it's not why in the world, but it's in God. We live in a fallen world. The world's imitations of peace, they may work for a while, but they are a temptation that take hold of us with the intent to destroy. That's why the word urges us to flee temptation. It gives you a false sense of reality, a false sense of hope. And peace purchased from things in this world is not worth the cost. In the end, it will be more than just peace that will be lost. The peace of God, on the other hand, that's offered to us freely, it does not come with the risks of negative after effects. David said in Psalm 34, verse 14, seek peace and pursue it. You do not sit on your couch and hope that it's just going to fall into your lap. The Bible tells us to seek peace and pursue it. Peace is a matter of activity. 
You go in search of it. When David wrote this, he was being pursued by, Paul, by Saul and was the number one most wanted man in the nation. While Saul was pursuing after him, David, he had his gaze set on the Lord and pursued peace. He was a fugitive running for his life underneath a tremendous amount of stress. And yet he says, seek peace, pursue it. The apostle Peter, writing to the church, was going through tough times and remembers these words of David. He quotes them for the church that was underneath this stress. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Seeking peace and actively pursuing it, it is our responsibility, it is our mandate, it is our mission as reflectors of God's light that we pursue peace. We can't allow the world to be in control of our emotional system. That's right. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, we read this, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Pay them back with blessing. This passage comes just before his urging them to seek peace and pursue it. If you are always seeking for justice instead of peace, you will never find peace. We, Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. You don't expect a garden to grow on its own without any plowing, without any cultivating, without any watering. Why would we expect the fruit of the Spirit to be produced differently? In Romans chapter 14, verse 19, Paul, he writes, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, to build each other up. Fruit is a joint effort. It's a joint adventure between God and humanity. If we do not cooperate, the fruit does not grow. We need to be on the same page about this as believers. We can't afford to be on different pages. We need to be in one accord. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul, he writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Every one of us today have a calling from God. It is a call to be channels of his peace. We need this fruit of the Spirit to fulfill our calling. We need to learn the art of just retreating into the presence of God. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? Retreating into the presence of God. I loved going fishing with my dad growing up, and I still do. He taught me something that has always stuck with me. Good things come to those who wait. We would stay in the same place longer than what my impatience could handle. And I would start getting fidgety and ask him, okay, are, are we going to move on to the next spot now? We're not catching anything here. We might as well move on. There's no point in this. And he would just not respond. He would just stay still. But at the end of the day, he would have more fish than I did. He always outfished me, and I could never figure out why until now. He had learned the art of being still, not responding, just waiting for a tug at the line. 
This morning, God is tugging at our line, trying to get our attention. We live in a culture where speed is king. I find myself in a hurry even when I don't need to be. I used to work with an individual that said, all you have to do to, look, to make yourself look important is just walk around with a clipboard and walk fast. Everybody will always assume that you're busy. People get uptight today if they miss a revolution in a revolving door. We are an uptight generation of compulsive activists. We have to do something. We must do something. It's our mission. There are 10 times more things to do in a day than anyone could do. And so we feel we are always behind and failing to do all that we could. All we do is respond, respond, respond. We have emails, texts, phone calls, social media that demand that we respond immediately. We want peace, but it just doesn't fit into our agenda. It calls for doing nothing sometimes, and we just can't handle that. Pascal, the great Christian philosopher and scientist, he said this, most of man's troubles come from his inability to be still. God gave the Sabbath law to force his people to relax and be still one day a week, but society has made it into one of the most active days of the week. We want peace. We do, but we want it in a pill that we can swallow so that we don't have to stop our perpetual motion. Energy drinks are sold by the case. There are long lines for coffee. Now, don't start throwing rocks or stones or anything like that. I, I, I appreciate and I love coffee just like the rest of you. I truly do. But when did it become more about I need this to get through my day than it did just simply because we enjoy it? Every convenience store has five-hour energy zappers. But is it worth the cost? Is it worth our peace? We can be so busy doing things for God that we miss to stand still in his presence sometime and let his presence simply just refresh our life. Be still. Know that I am God. It goes against the grain of our culture. We pat ourselves on the back for our busyness and only feel success if we have completely exhausted ourselves by all of our efforts. But in the attempt to achieve, people push aside their prayer time rush into their busy schedule, and at the end of the day wonder, where were you, God? And yet the promise of God in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 is this, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, but here's why. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. If we could have a mind focused on God and not all the stimuli about us, we could have perfect peace. The Holy Ghost will not give us peace if we do not retreat and escape from the constant bombardment of things grappling for our attention and just spend time in His presence. We could get away from it all simply just by finding a place to pray. This is what devotional time and prayer time is like for a Christian. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, For He Himself is our peace. He's all we need. Somebody hear me this morning. He's all we need. We don't need more of this and more of that to feel connected to each other or more connected to God. There is no amount of busyness that will fill what we are longing for. We want to create an atmosphere where people feel connected, but the only thing that we'll do as a church is prayer. The only thing that we'll do in our life is prayer. 
not letting anything get in the way of our prayer time. It's more important than anything else. It's okay to shut the world out and let God in sometimes, you know. I tried calling my wife the other day. She wasn't responding to any of my calls or texts. When I got home, I found out that she was in prayer. Things can wait when you have an appointment with the Creator. Him and I, we meet every day. It's not a time for me to check my emails, answer my texts, respond to anything, formulate plans for my day. It's time to just be still in His presence. He's all I need. Hear me this morning. There is no way the Holy Ghost can grow any of the fruits in us if we are not spending time with the vine. With this mentality, our prayer service is the most important service that we have. Brother Hanscom and I were just talking about this the other day. Your prayer time is more important than your schedule. You want peace? Go to prayer. Peace doesn't come from knowing that everything in our world is wonderful. It's not where we get our peace from. It rests in the assurance that I am God's and he is mine. He is sovereign and he sees me. He knows exactly where I'm at. That's where my peace stems from. Corey Ten Boom, she said this. She said, look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. When Jesus appeared to his depressed disciples after his resurrection, they didn't know what to do. We read about this account in John chapter 20, verse 19. He says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Those scars, they represented the worst that life could throw at Jesus. Crucifixion and violent death. Now he had conquered the worst and has a right to say, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Evil has done all, it's can, all that it can and it's lost. In him there is victory over every evil foe. The worst can never rob them of his best. And so there is a solid foundation for peace in the midst of the battle with evil. The cross and what Jesus did for us is a symbol of ultimate peace. Christ, by his shed blood, fixes all that sin has broken. Paul states this clearly in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is the God of peace. Patience is the fourth fruit of the Spirit mentioned. A young boy named Edward, he had reached the age where having a watch made life worth living. You ever be there? Can you remember back in your childhood where there was something you really wanted? Nothing else in the world mattered but that one object. You wanted that red flyer uh, wagon or you wanted that, that uh, G.I. Joe, you know, like th those things you just desired. And so uh, he was bugging his parents to get one constantly. And that's what children do. They constantly just go to their parents, I want this, I want this. And I was, I was told, uh, he was told that he would have to wait until he was older, but he continued to ask for it, beg for it, and, until his whole family was sick of it. And fa his father finally did, laid down the law and said, okay, you can have one, but you have to stop talking about it, never mentioning the subject again. 
And so the next Sunday, as was the custom, each child in the family, they read a Bible verse at the dinner table. When it came to Edward's turn, this was the verse that he chose to read. What I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Most of us can identify with him. We have all, at one time or another, had an obsession with getting something. And we could not rest until we got it. We've seen it on those, you know, we've seen some sort of advertisement and our friends are told us about it or something. We just had to have it. This puts our patience to the test, and we realize that there is no easy virtue to achieve this ability to wait for what we want with calm and undisturbed spirit in the face of obstacles and delays. In our age of instant gratification, nobody enjoys waiting. I didn't enjoy waiting when I was fishing with my father when I was a child, but God demands that his children learn to discipline their desires and to persevere not give up because they do not reach their goals as soon as they hoped. Shakespeare said this. He said, how poor are they who have not patience? What wound did ever heal but by degrees? Waiting and persevering are a part of God's plan for his people. And those who can't endure this part of it miss out on God's best. The Bible is constantly urging Christians to look at life long range. Job is the greatest example of patience. He did not give up even though all the evidence seemed to support that he should. Even his friends were telling him. Even his wife was telling him. And he had the fruit of patience and held on to God when nothing else made sense. Job brought this. He wrote this. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Even if it seems like God is not working for my good. My trust is in him. Wait on the Lord. Never give up. Let patience be your God. Be your guide. It is the fruit of patience that keeps people from giving up when it seems hopeless. Joseph had to endure the pit and the prison before he got to the palace. Without patience, he would have given up, stopped pursuing this dream that God had given him. This can happen to any of us when we go through tough times, and that is why we read in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, we want each of you, he says, this is what the writer says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. I do apologize, Brother Donnie. I gave you all the wrong translations of what I'm using here this morning. Everybody's like, what? Is he actually reading from those verses? We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Love is the key fruit out of of which all the others grow. I stated that ever since the beginning of this series last week. The fruit only grow as we stay connected to the vine. And so we call out to the Lord every day. Every opportunity that we have, his word is on our lips. We sing his praise just like we did here this morning. But love needs patience to last. Anybody can be loving for a little while. But no virtue is of great value, even love, if it does not last. Virtues only become Christ-like when they last and become persistent in the face of obstacles. This is the only possible when they are linked with patience. The fruit of patience is what makes every virtue a Christian virtue. 
Christian virtues are those that last. They don't disappear when there's obstacles and there's opposition that come our way. Jesus, he said on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, he's being stoned to death by an angry mob and he prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Paul's patience was tried by believers who failed him. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be held against them. How could they be so forgiving? Because their eyes were set long term on the prize. They had the ability to endure and put up with the weakness and folly of human nature because they knew in the long run, All weakness will not prevent the victory of God's love. You can put up with a lot when you are assured the negative stuff will not win in the end. Paul, he makes it clear in Romans chapter 12, there are many commandments impossible to obey without the fruit of patience. He says this in verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in in affliction. Verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 19, do not take revenge. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Verse 21, do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If I choose to follow after Christ and I suffer for it, I will still be the winner. Because I please God. It is a no-lose choice to be like Christ. And we never cease making that choice when all the natural emotions are screaming, get back, get even, get violent. The author, George Horn, he says this, patience strengthens the spirit, sweetens the temper, stifles anger, extinguishes envy, subdues pride, bridles the tongue, restrains the hand, and tramples on temptation. In other words, It is the key to being like Christ. Christians almost always fall and fail because of a lack of patience. Adam and Eve could not wait to learn why it was in their best interest not to eat of the forbidden fruit. Their impatience was the beginning of sin. Sarah could not wait for God to keep his promise, and so she gave Hagar to her husband to produce a child. The result of this impatience has been a history of violence from times of old until our present day. Moses could have obeyed God and just spoken to the rock like God told him to to get water. But he impatiently struck it and lost his chance to go into the promised land. The record goes on and on. Satan knows he can win a lot of battles if he can just get God's people to be impatient. When you want something very strongly right now, you can count on it. Satan has a foot in the door of your life. And you are open to suggestion to make foolish choices. There is a right time for everything underneath the sun. But if Satan can get you to jump the gun, he knows that he has the battle won. And once the power of patience is turned off, every other virtue becomes weakened. We're no longer patient in our love. We're no longer patient in our joy. We're no longer patient in our peace. God did not abandon the project of saving the world. Instead, he provided himself as the Savior to atone for the sin of humanity. 
Then he poured out his presence to provide a control system so the enemy could be overcome. That is what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. By their power, every evil tendency in our nature can be restrained. But you do not build a control system overnight. Rome was not built in a day, and neither are we as Christians. It took a lot of teaching, a lot of training, commitment, trial, error, just as it does for any of us to become like Christ. If I could have the music come back at this time. For us, repenting of our sins, being baptized in Jesus' name, receiving the Holy Ghost, they're only the beginning. It's only the beginning of our Christian life. That's the starting point. God has designed us so that we would be a continual work, kind of like the Harbor Bridge. Always working on it. Never done. The world is filled with people who stopped praying because their prayers were not answered right when they thought it should be. The world is filled with people who stopped giving because they did not get rich as some preacher told them that they would. The world is filled with people who do not go to church because they were bored or did not understand or they were not treated the way that they felt they should have been. What is the basic problem of all these discouraged people in the world? Impatience. It takes time to develop any skill or relationship. It takes time to develop your relationship with God. The Christian life is a process, and those who demand that it be a finished product handed to them on a silver platter are setting themselves up for failure. And we can make a choice to either grieve about our mess and give up in despair or have hope and patiently begin to pursue God for our future. Don't try to rush God. Don't try to rush Him this morning. Don't start making plans in your head about what you're going to do following this service. We've got to talk to God first. I'm going to have all of us stand across this place as we come to a close. God can get you out of a rut, onto a new road, and over the mountain that seems impassable if you will just be patient. I have seen God in my lifetime turn troubled youth into great men and women, criminals into God-fearing saints, addicts into church elders. The present is never the end of the story. No matter how discouraging it seems now, God will have the final word. And we can wait for that victorious word if we let the Holy Ghost produce in us the fruit of patience. Patience is what makes you able to live in this fallen world and still have love, joy, peace, all the other fruits of the Spirit. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. You may have heard of this one before. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This morning, there's a tug at the line. God is calling His church. He's calling His people to prayer. And I know that this seems like a simple message. I go back to this one last story. This one final story book of Exodus. Exodus literally means exit. Coming out. Coming out from where they were. The people of Israel, they were in slavery for 400 years. 400 years. God developed a plan 
with an individual named Moses that he would work through this individual. Moses, he came up with every excuse in the book. God, you can't use me because of this. You can't use me because of that. And when he exhausted all of his excuses, he finally said, okay, God, I'll I'll do what you want me to do. They find themselves, he finds themselves submitting to God's will, doing what God wants him to do. But it became that because he found a place to just be still before the Lord. And that seemed to be a pattern throughout his life. God would later on tell him and tell the people, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Just watch what God is doing. If you can just find that place of prayer here this morning. I'm going to open up the altar and invite you to come. If you don't feel comfortable coming to the altar to pray, I invite you to pray in your seat. Amen. And we're going to join our voices together. We're going to join our faith together here this morning. And we're going to ask God to continue to develop in us. Hallelujah, Jesus. We want His peace like never before. We want Him to work in us no matter how long it takes to create in us the work that He wants to create. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, let Your will be done in me. God, if You can use anything, Lord, You can use me. Work through me, Lord. Work through my life. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm a willing vessel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give you all praise and all glory for what you're doing here today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.